Well, we continue looking at the Lord's Prayer this morning, and we come to that uh, line that says, Forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our somethings as we forgive others. Um, To sort of get a rolling start into that, I want to remind you of the story of Joseph. It's found in the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis. Uh, Many of you are familiar with that, and it's a fairly ornate uh, uh, narrative, but I'd like to just summarize it to bring us to a a key point of that. You remember Joseph had 11 brothers, and uh, he was uh, uh, not very popular with his brothers, and uh, because of uh, their animosity towards him on one occasion, they just took him, and they took away his coat of many colors, and then they put... Joseph down a well at the bottom of a cistern, and their intention was to leave him there to die, but um, because they were kind of kind and uh, maybe saw a profit in it, um, they uh, actually took him up and they sold him into slavery. He was taken by Midianite traders as a slave to the land of Egypt, where he was sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. And he worked as a slave in Potiphar's house. But then eventually the day come when Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of assault, of sexual assault. And as you might expect, Joseph uh, was not popular with Potiphar. And so uh, it was a false charge, totally unfair. uh, But Joseph was thrown into jail nonetheless. And so Joseph goes from being a favored son in his home to being a disgraced slave forgotten in jail. And not only that, while he's in jail, one of his fellow prisoners says, Look, Joe, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to make sure I bring you out too. Shorten the story. Uh, The guy got out and he forgot totally about Joseph. So now he's abandoned. He's been robbed enslaved, accused falsely, imprisoned, and abandoned. Can we agree this was like maybe a bad life? This wasn't a great thing. But through the circumstances of the court of Pharaoh, uh, Joseph was released from prison, and um, the bottom line of it is he became sort of the prime minister of all Egypt. And he administered a grain gathering program in which food was stockpiled for a coming uh, famine that Joseph knew was coming because of Revelation. And so when the famine came, Egypt was the only place you could get food. And Joseph was in charge of that. Well, back in his home, his brothers and his dad said, look, we're starving to death here. They've got food in Egypt. Let's go to Egypt and get the food. Uh, Again, the brothers go to Egypt. They don't recognize Joseph at all. Why would you? You sold this young lad into slavery and now you're looking at the prime minister of Egypt. You're not going to make that kind of connection. And so Joseph recognizes his brothers, but he gives them the food. Again, we're shortening the story. He gives them the food and eventually his whole uh, family moves to Egypt. They they still don't, uh, don't understand what's going on. And then Joseph says, look, I'm your brother. I'm Joseph. And the brothers who sold him into slavery so that Joseph would have the opportunity to spend years in prison and be abandoned and forgotten uh, were a little bit concerned about how Joseph might react. 
And so when the father died, the brothers said, now, you know, all bets are off now. Joseph is, is going to come after us. So they went to Joseph and they said, look, the last thing dad said was you got to forgive us. Now, in point of fact, that was not the last thing dad said. In fact, dad hadn't said it at all. <laughs> but you see, you know, this, this is the way people work, you know. They're, they're, they're trying to angle this because they know they are in deep trouble. They have abused their brother. And their brother is in charge of their lives. And at that point, Joseph said, You meant it for evil. Everything you did, you meant to harm me. You meant for me to die as a slave in a forgotten part of the world. You meant for me to suffer and not to enjoy the the birthright that was mine in our father's house. You meant for me to have a life that was totally robbed from me and taken from me. You intended this to work out badly for me. You meant it for evil. And that was true. But then Joseph said, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That doesn't mean that God was saying, you know what would be a really neat thing is if I could just throw him into slavery and that, you know, build some character and all that, you know. What his brothers did was evil, but what God did was greater. He not only brought Joseph up out of the slavery and out of the prison, not only saved the family from starvation, but he built for himself a testimony of the glory of God. And what better can, thing can you say about someone's life than this? God is glorified because this man lived. And so Joseph has this astounding, this amazing forgiveness of his brothers. It doesn't make any sense. Not one person in a thousand would do it that way. Most people would look at it. They say, well, look, now we're in control. Now I'm in control. Now I have the ability to get even, whatever that means. Now I can punish them. They deserve it. Most of us would look at the advantage we had And Joseph looked at the ability he was given and the opportunity that was his to show the glory of God in forgiving his brothers. See, Joseph understood you can't change the past. There's nothing he could do to go back and undo the slavery, undo the false accusation, undo the years in prison, undo the abandonment and being forgotten by his friend in in jail. He could not go back and undo any of that. He understood that the past is pretty well set. The only thing he could do was adjust his thinking about the past and how he viewed that past. Would it become an eternal excuse for him to be bitter and bear a grudge, to be angry? Would it be an opportunity for him to say, no one can find fault with me if I lower the boom on these guys? He knew you can't change the past. 
And so instead of thinking of the past as an excuse and a, and a validation of his anger and bitterness, he'd rather let that past become the foundation out of which the glory of God sprung to life in his heart. Because he knew while you can't change the past, God is bigger than our past. God is not imprisoned in our past. God is not limited what, by what other people have done in the past to us. There's an eternal, limitless capacity of God out of his wisdom and his providence to take things that others meant for evil and for harm and to work them for our good and for our growth. In Romans 8.28, it doesn't say God might cause some things to work together for our good. It doesn't say that God is able. It says God does cause all things to work together for our good, to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Joseph understood that God is bigger than the past and the grudge and the anger and the, you know, and that God was able to bring something noble out of it. Didn't make the past good. You know, it's not like the brothers could say, hey, Joe, weren't we smart when we sold you into slavery? Look how it worked out. Wouldn't it happen without us? No, nothing could make what his brothers did good. But what his brothers did could not stop the good of God in his life. See, God is bigger than our past. And Joseph understood that the gateway, the gateway for God's working to redeem us from a, a, a vicious past and a harmful past and a broken past, that the gateway out of the, the, the shattered ruins of the past, the gateway out to the glory of God is through forgiveness. The ability to forgive. And that's an amazing thing. We actually find this t- going on uh, throughout the Bible. In many places, I, I actually had a, a list of, of citations I would bring to you. For example, Hosea and his wife and, you know, those kinds of things. But simply to tell you that forgiveness is not something that's, oh, it's a nice option out there, you know, that maybe we'll add on. It's at the very heart of how God works in our lives. When we come to the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray and forgive us our what? Debts, trespasses, sins, which is it? Luke has the word sins. Forgive us our sins in, in Luke chapter 11. Luke says, forgive us our sins, and sin is a word that means missing the mark. It's kind of like the way I used to shoot when I shot my black powder rifle. Um, haven't done it in years, and so the world is a safer place. But when I would, you know, go out and, and target shoot with a friend... Um, for me, a successful shot was one where a piece of the paper somewhere was nicked. A successful shot for him was dead on in the bullseye. Now, in fairness to myself, I'm just saying this, my front sight was a floating sight and wouldn't stay put, and it was an open sight in the back, and, 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 and I'm a bad shot. So that, you know, that was it. But that's what the word sin means. It means you missed the mark. God said, I want you here, and you wound up over there. God said, I want you aimed in this direction, and you aimed in a different direction. God gave you the target of goodness and righteousness and holiness and truthfulness. And you went after the way of the world, 
you gave in to the spur of the moment anger. You, you, you walked in a way that was, um, you know, of your own design. And you didn't wind up where God wanted you to be. So when Luke says, forgive us our sins and records that word, it has to do with missing God's design for our lives. And then in the Gospel of Matthew, the word he uses in the Greek is the word for debts. So forgive us our debts. And, and debt is a good way to think about uh, what sin is and what our, our, um, our lives are before God. Because we owe God everything. He is our creator, our sustainer. He is our provider. He is the one who directs us and his wisdom is, is supreme. And, you know, all those things that go into calling God Father, we looked at that, our Father which art in heaven, all the things that go into that, we owe to God. And we haven't paid it. We haven't given God what is due to him. We've given him scraps. We've given him leftovers. We've given him sort of a thoughtless attention when we didn't have anything else better to do. And we have accrued a massive debt of things that we should have given to God our Father in heaven. And we have not done it. And therefore, we have a debt. Father, forgive us our debts. And when we looked at that phrase, our Father which art in heaven, we we understood we can only come to God as our Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it took the cross, it took the sacrificial death of, of, of Christ to bring us into the presence of the Father. And so we owe to the Father our whole hearts and our faith. And forgive us our debts when we fall short of that, when we don't quite do it. But what about that word trespasses? You know, this, this is the line where if you're ever in a group of Christians and you, someone says, let's recite the Lord's Prayer. And everyone says, yeah, let's recite the Lord's Prayer. And so you get to this, this part of, of, of the prayer and it's like, and forgive us our debts. And then if you say debts, you'll just stop. Because half the room has said trespasses. And you say, as we forgive our debtors, and they have to say, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And, you know, it just takes longer. So, you know, we just sort of mumble through that. Where did that come from? I mean, trespasses is, is what is said um, in the Roman Catholic tradition, in the Orthodox tradition, uh, in the Anglican tradition. It's a part of the old traditional Anglican prayer book, and uh, a lot of folks hang on to that. Um, it probably arises out of the, the translation of, of uh, uh, John Wycliffe, who is the first to translate the, the uh, New Testament into uh, contemporary uh, English, contemporaries, you know, the, like the 16th century or so. But uh, uh, and and he used the word trespasses because Jesus uses that word later on in the in the Gospel of Matthew. So um, that's sort of where it comes from. But it all has has the, the same idea. A trespass is where you've gone someplace you don't belong. You're somewhere where you ought not to be. You have trespassed across a boundary, and God has set out the boundaries. He's given us the way, if you will, the Torah. Which it really means way as, as much as law. He's given us the, the way that we should travel. He set the boundaries on either side and we step off the boundary and we go places we shouldn't be and, and we're involved in, in things that, that are totally outside of, of where God has designed us to be. And so we have our trespasses and we have our debts and we have our sins. And Jesus said, just turn to the Father. Forgive us our sins, our debts. A trespasses. And here's the confidence that we have. That if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This isn't a blank check. These things are written so that we won't sin. But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the price of our salvation poured out in His blood on the cross. And He died for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And that's the confidence and the boldness that we have to pray this in the midst of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses. Because God has promised that's what he would do. Jesus has provided that forgiveness for us. Um, just very quickly, you know, sometimes you hear people say Jesus was a great teacher. You know, nobody identified him as a teacher when he was alive. He did a lot of teaching and people would go hear him teach. But nobody said, oh, he's just a teacher. And you, you remember this, don't you? King Herod asked his, his, his associates, said, who is this Jesus? Who do the people say he is? They said, well, he might be Elijah, the prophet, who's to come. Or he, he might be Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Or he might even be John the Baptist, who's the latest prophet. They didn't say, he's a great teacher. When Jesus asked his disciples, they'd say, who do men say that I am? You remember this, don't you? They said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say one of the prophets. Nobody said he's a teacher. They said he's a man of God speaking the word of God. By the way, Jesus then asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter didn't get a lot right, but he got this right. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said in his best Aramaic, bingo. That was, that was how he said it. That's, that's exactly what he said. So Jesus came as our Savior, as the Christ, as the Anointed One. And he came so that our sins would be forgiven and we could enter into our relationship with the Father. This is grace. This is amazing grace. It's got a nice sound to it, doesn't it? You know, that grace can save a wretch like me. Go ahead and sing it. That's, that's okay. But, but, but the, the problem I have here, if Jesus had just quit there, asked for forgiveness, I, I'd be okay with that. God, forgive me. Okay. But he said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, Jesus is not saying that God wants you to earn your forgiveness, that you got, if you can find somebody and forgive them, then God will forgive you. you know, or if you can muster up enough courage to, to forgive that person, then God will forgive you. It's, it's not our forgiveness precedes God's forgiveness. Our forgiveness flows out of God's forgiveness. Forgive us our sins and then let that, that forgiveness then flow through our lives and out into the lives of others around us. And this is where it gets hard. You know, sometimes it's hard enough to believe that God would forgive us. But then to think that I could forgive anybody? You know, by the way, one of the reasons sometimes we um, have trouble thinking that and believing that God 
for, actually forgives us is because we haven't forgiven others. And we live in a world in which it's kind of okay not to forgive some people some things. And the corollary to that is, and so there must be some things God doesn't forgive, and I must have done one of them. But when forgiveness flows out of your life, then you start to understand. So that's how God does it. That's how his forgiveness works. Peter was listening to that, uh, to this whole forgiveness thing one time. And he started to see the, the results of what Jesus was teaching. Now, Jesus wasn't just saying, here, forgive this group of people here, or forgive this one person there, or forgive this, this kind of sin. He said, forgive everybody in your life. Just keep on forgiving. And Peter thought about that, and he, and, he, and he thought, you know, this really makes sense. It's got to break down at some point. And so he went to Jesus. This is in uh, uh, Matthew 18. And he said, Jesus, exactly how often should I forgive my brother? Isn't there a limit to this? Don't I become an enabler if I keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving? But I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, Jesus. How often should I forgive? Seven times? Which is way more than you and I would do. Jesus said, no, not seven times. Seventy-seven times. One way to translate it is 70 times seven times, 490 times. Either way, you can't count that high. You'll lose count. You'll have to start over. You say, it's limitless. There's not a, there's not a, a line out there that you get to that point and say, okay, now it's okay to bear a grudge. Now, now it's okay to seek revenge. Now it's okay to write somebody off. He said, no, you just keep forgiving and forgiving. And then Jesus told this parable, and we, we've talked about this a number of times. It, it's one of the most amazing parables when you think of it. But he said, there was a man who called a servant in to give an account. He was going over the books, and uh, he called in the bookkeeper. And as, uh, uh, as, as the man came in, he said, you know, I've noticed something in the books here. You owe me the complete national debt of Denmark. I don't know what the national debt of Denmark, but I thought it was funny. He said, but you owe me a bazillion dollars, 10,000 bags of gold. Uh, it, 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 it's almost impossible to get money amounts to equal money amounts today from the Bible and um, and so you, you try to figure it out. It, this was something like uh, the complete lifetime income and earnings of about 30 to 40 people. All right? So you owe me this astronomical amount of money. And you know what happens if you can't pay it? And the guy couldn't. How he spent that much money, I don't know. But some people can do it. Shoes. So he, but he, uh, he said, I, I can't pay that. He says, well, you know, what's left is, is you've got to go into debtor's prison. This never made sense to me. Why do you throw someone in debtor's p- prison? They can't pay, so you throw them into jail until they can pay. I mean, you, they just can't make that many license plates. Actually, the theory was you throw them in jail, and then their family will pay the debt for them. Their friends will pay the debt for them. And by the way, you also keep track of who comes to see them. 
Because if somebody comes to, to visit them in prison, you say, well, you know, you put the arm on that person. Wouldn't you like to pay his debt? That's why it was a dangerous thing to, vote, uh, to visit people in jail. That's why Jesus said, I was in prison and you should have come to see me. You should have been identified with me. Okay. So he's going to be thrown into debtor's prison. The guy falls down. He says, Master, you can't do that. you got to forgive me. I'll pay it all back. Just give me some time. <laughs> There's not enough time in the universe to, 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 to pay this debt off. The Bible says the master had compassion on him and he forgave him the debt. He said, I'll write it off. The guy got up and he went out forgiven. And he found a friend. And this friend owed him about three months' pay is what it amounted to. You know. I don't know what that is in your world, but you know, just about three months' pay. And uh the guy says, you know, you owe me this money, whatever it is. I'd like to have it now, or else I'm going to throw you in jail. And his friend falls down on his knees and says, oh, buddy, you, you got to give me time. You, you, just let me work it off. I'll repay everything. Just give me some time. And the first servant said, I don't think so. You owe the money. You owe it now. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. If I forgive your debt, everybody who owes me money is going to stop paying off their debts. I can't afford to have that going on. As an example, you're going into jail. And threw him into jail. Now the master heard about this. And he calls in the, the first servant. So what did you do? How could you possibly have thrown your friend into jail when I forgave you so much more? You know, if you're not going to appreciate this, if it's not going to change your life, you really haven't experienced forgiveness. And the boom was lowered on him. And then Jesus said, and that's exactly the way it is with God, our Heavenly Father. He has forgiven you so much. And He has just taken that debt that you owed Him and He's written on it, canceled in full. To tell us die. It is finished. And if you cannot find your way to forgive, have you really received the forgiveness of God? Here's what should have happened. I love this. The first servant, forgiven, should have walked out of there. And he should have found his friend. His friend says, I can't pay you back. He says, don't worry about it. Let me tell you why I'm forgiving your debt. It's because our master is so wonderful and so glorious. Look what he forgave me. And so when you think of this debt you owe me, I want you to look and think about the master and give him glory and honor and praise because he's a master who forgives an infinite debt. And the least I can do is forgive this paltry of a debt that you've incurred with me. You see, the forgiveness was to redound to the glory of the Master. And the forgiveness of God in your life is to redound to the glory of our Father in heaven. That's why it's so important that we forgive. It's a way to give God thanksgiving, praise, honor, to give Him glory for how He's 
forgiven us. Now, beloved, this this is probably one of the hardest things the Lord's Prayer is going to ask you to do. Because it's hard to forgive. Some people know the meaning of abuse. Abuse as a child. You'd never get that childhood back. You don't get to rewire the brain from all the all the confused, tangled web of wiring that, that a childhood filled with abuse will cause. And you live with that the rest of your life. You can't change the past. And it's hard to forgive because if I forgive, that means they got away with it. Praise God. He didn't let us get away with our sin. He sent his son to die for our sin. So the price was paid. It's just we didn't have to pay it. But it is so hard to forgive. But God spared nothing to forgive us. And what I want to remind you is that when you withhold forgiveness, it just shackles and chains you to your past. And you'll never move out of it. And you'll never grow beyond it. Our God is able to do wondrous things, even with a broken past filled with the evil and the sin of abuse. Doesn't make it good, but God's bigger than that. And He can give us a new life in Him. Forgiveness doesn't mean just glancing over the The problem, a lot of times forgiveness is the first step towards real confrontation of the problem. The real, and and confronting another person. I mean, if there's been abuse in your past, you've got a right to say, this is wrong, and you did it, and you're wrong. My forgiveness of you means that I'm not chained to you anymore. But God's broken that chain, and I I can live free from you and your abuse now. But it won't happen until forgiveness comes. Forgiveness is hard, especially when the, 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 the wrong done to us is so unjust and so unfair and so monstrous in, in, in the way that it's, that it's gripped our lives and, 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 and distorted our lives. But we go before the Father and we say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Whoa. God, if you can do that for me. Teach me to forgive those who've sinned against me. It might be the hardest thing we're asked to do in the Lord's Prayer. But by the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live lives of grace. Let's bow together in prayer. And Father, we do pause for just a moment to acknowledge our sinfulness, our waywardness, our transgressions, our indebtedness to you. Father, we confess our sins. And we have such boldness to come before you and to ask for that forgiveness that is ours in Jesus Christ. Not as a hypothetical, Father, but as a real forgiving power come into our lives. And so I'd ask for the folks in this room first that you're Your Holy Spirit would bring a conviction of sin and a confidence to confess the Lord Jesus, to confess our sin, and to know the the total restoration and healing that comes from your hand. But Father, give us the courage of faith to live lives 
that forgive. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.